Good morning. This past December, a doctor's office in Doncaster, England, mistakenly texted thousands of patients with the startling news that they were dying of, quote, aggressive lung cancer with metastasis. The message was supposed to be, we wish you a Merry Christmas. <laughs> the text also provided a link to a form used by terminal patients uh, to seek government benefits for their disease and death. You can imagine the shock, the fear, the despair that came over those people and their families. Uh, it was a bit of a mess. But there's something that would be far worse. And that is if those who do have deadly cancer were told, everything's fine, have a happy new year. And so our passage this morning wants to give that kind of protection and guard to us. The verses we will read want to make sure that people who have the deadly spiritual cancer that does destroy and kill, that they are made aware of that condition, that they can respond and get the help we need for that which will, in every case, destroy the life that has sin embedded in it. So we are in Hebrews chapter 10, continuing our study of this book. We have reached verse 26. Hebrews 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and the, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. Our Heavenly Father, these, these are fierce words. We ask that we would hear them and think of them 
for the purpose for which they were given, that your impact would be received in our hearts. Lord, that we, we, would, we would recognize this, this is light coming to us and that we would receive it. So help us, each one of us, in Jesus' name, amen. We have to ask, consider why is God so intense about sin? That there is, verse 27, a, a fearful expectation of judgment and a, a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. This is about as strong as language can be. God is intense about sin because he knows what sin is. God sees and understands sin clearly. And a clear understanding of sin should cause us, will cause us, to share God's intense concern. We, we know about cancer. It probably has touched all of our families in some way. I've had uncles, grandparents, and many people I love who their lives cut short by this disease. And cancer is some ways simply body cells that operated normally and that function to our good that Something happens to corrupt these cells so they now begin to spread in an abnormal way, in a way that takes over the body and the organs and eventually ruins them and will bring death. That's what cancer is. It's what cancer does. Sin is spiritual cancer in our soul. It, it works the same way. It, Sin takes how we think and our actions, responses. It, it takes how we're processing life and it, it corrupts it. And the corruption just begins to spread even in ways we don't see. And eventually it just takes over more and more of life and always brings ruin. It always destroys Sin takes the made-in-God's-own-image humanity that we were given and corrupts that and takes us far from God and makes us very much unlike God whom we were created to be like. The presence of sin has led to every conflict that's ever taken place in the history of, of the earth. Sin is the reason for every pain, physical or emotional, that has ever been experienced by anyone. Every bit of abuse that has taken place, sin is the root of all of it. God 
sees that. He, he knows that. And, and even more serious than that is that sin is by nature a rebelling against God who made us and gave us life. God who invented us. God who gave us our soul. God who created us that we might live in the joy of his presence and love. And sin drives us from him. Sin makes us turn and create all sorts of gods to replace the reality of the only true God. The one who loves us beyond our ability to comprehend is pushed aside. And in our minds, his, his very being and nature, his, his very goodness is distorted. And he's turned into something that people don't even desire or want to think of. Which is the opposite of who God is and what knowing God should do. Everything of God should draw us to him. That our hearts aren't fully after God with joy is evidence of the distortions of sin within us. All death, sorrow, pain, all strife, they only exist because of sin. That is why all that we despise and makes us ache and we wish was not in the world, it, it exists because of sin. God is serious about sin because he sees what it is and what it does. And God is also serious about sin because God is serious about justice. We, we think of the people in Ukraine. Right now, the millions and millions of people, their homes destroyed. They were just going through life, and all of a sudden, a war they didn't cause, they didn't want, they don't even understand. Uh, your house destroyed, loved ones taken away, you, you have no job left, you, you're running, you're, you're trying to find a place to sleep, to eat. Who's going to make that right? One war. What are the victims of abuse who see their abuser is well-respected and liked. And they just live with their own hurt. And that's multiplied by the millions of times. How many people are marginalized? And from the time being child, their, their body type doesn't fit in. Or something about their, their lack of grace, of social graces, or they have no athletic skill. Maybe their mind moves a little bit slower. And, and they grow up knowing and hearing what is said about them. 
And that follows them all their life. And when people just see them, they're, they're viewed as less than. I think of a, a boy named Andy who moved in to our school in fifth grade who, he was just a normal kid, but his clothes were always a little battered. And that immediately started the mockery that followed him throughout his school life. I was his friend, and there were times I participated in that just to be accepted. Sin just so embedded in us. None of this is isolated. Just in the, just in the 20th century, 231 million people killed by war. And then multiply that by those who lost those they love in war and the destruction. 231 million in, in one little century. Right now, there are 22 million people in forced labor. At any one time, there are 25 million people being trafficked. Sex abuse in America is one in four girls. One in four girls are sexually abused in America. In other countries, it's far worse. Zoya, who you met last week, does a lot of counseling, and uh, she said she is surprised whenever she counsels with a woman who has not been abused. It is so pervasive there. Uh, how much corporate abuse is there in the world? Is that an isolated thing? That happens every once in a while. How many executives get tens of millions of dollars in salary and people's jobs are just cut and moved and just to increase profits? How, how many political leaders, you can look at their whole career and they truly did it for the people? It, it doesn't matter what nation you're in, what century, what generation. People are always frustrated with their leaders. How much online fraud is there today? Do you think that's something you could even measure? How many contractors cheat? How many workers are lazy? How big is the drug industry? How many people participate in that? How many people, as bad as it is, then add poison to it just to spread out so they can sell more? How many broken relationships have there been? How many betrayals? I say all this that we would not allow the, the idea that people sin, there's a lot of bad in the world. 
that we would be struck by the vastness of it all. That it is everywhere. Leeching in, hidden, but spreading, destroying, not caring, devouring. Even in the people that we think are good. This is a vastness that only God can handle. No nation, no gathering of leaders, no one can fix this but God. It's too deep, too big, too unchangeable. We try, we try to bring justice. How much do we miss? Most of it. We, we only capture a fragment and that often is misused. How much fairness really takes place in the justice system? Who gets what? And does the victim ever regain anything? God alone can bring perfect justice. God has the sight for it. I mean, God sees every heart, every action, every mind. God is the only one who actually can see it all and judge and measure it all. Only God has the wisdom of what do you do Only God has the character, the unchangeable character that will deal with all sin perfectly. Only God has the power to undertake this. God, he bears the responsibility of judgment. He is the final authority. We see the the saying, the, the buck stops here. God is the one who actually is the final authority of what takes place in this world. We see it in, in verse 30. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It belongs to God. He has the responsibility for it. He has the character for it. In fact, God judging sin is character driven. It's not a resentment. It is his perfect character, his holiness, his goodness. Indeed, his love drives him to destroy sin, which brings so much pain. And as a perfect judge, he misses nothing. So verse 27 says, uh, those who continue sinning deliberately, there is the expectation of judgment. It is a certain thing. 
And as we must not miss the vastness of it, as we must not miss the certainty of God's judgment, we must not miss the reality that all of us share the guilt. Each one of us is stained by sin. It has engulfed us all. And the Bible declares there is none righteous, not even one, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all of the measurements we give of better than, less than, that is true, but we are still all sinners. And God is perfect judge, driven by authority, by character, driven by the cries of all who have been misused by sin, God must respond. And so he will. And so he tells us that he will. He tells us, be aware of the reality of my character, of what is coming. Oh, we we would so much prefer, and so the world conjures up a God who continually says to them, you're not as bad as the other guy, don't worry. That is the message the world wants to embrace. Yes, there are some horrible people, people far from us, people not like us, and God's gonna get them. But we can tell each other, we're good, we're fine. The heart of God must judge. But the heart of God also desires to manifest his astonishing love. God who must judge sin wants those trapped in sin to see how much love and mercy he has. And so God made a way to fully judge sin, every bit of it, and at the same time manifest love beyond our mind's ability to comprehend. God has merged these together in the person of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. Who is is Jesus Christ? He is the eternal son of God who became a man so that as a man who is perfect and never sinned can step into our place and take our guilt, all that filth, all that deserving of judgment, that the the only perfect man came to take that and receive the judgment. To receive 
the fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that will consume. And Jesus took that for us. In Isaiah chapter 53, it, it spoke ahead of what it would be like, what, what the Christ would experience. Isaiah 53, 5 to 6, he was pierced on the cross for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. We, like sheep, have all gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. And the Lord laid on him, on Jesus, the sin of us all. And God doesn't stop with putting the judgment we deserve on Christ by removing the guilt. Now the way is wide open for God to come to us as Father and adopt us and make us children that we might live in the loving care and presence of him forever. How? How can this be true for us? How can this, what God has done, be ours? Romans chapter 10. It's very direct. It's very clear. It's for every person who would follow it. And everyone can understand it. A child can. Some with limited intellectual ability. Someone who is the, the worst sinner in the world today. Someone who's pretty good. It, it, it is for all of us. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe he is Lord, he is God in flesh. If you believe that God raised him from the dead, that he died for sin and he didn't stay dead. In his own power, he conquered death coming out of the grave, showing, yes, he also conquered the sin for which he died. And Jesus, who died for us, now lives as we have seen to intercede for us. If you confess through their mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. There are lots of things that are good to do to mature, to be stable, to be faithful. There's all sorts of responses our life should have to God out of love, out of goodness. But there is only one thing that will save us to call out in faith on Christ and ask him to forgive and save you. That's it. That's all of it. There is absolutely Nothing more, nothing additional. It is all faith in Jesus alone who saves, who fully saves, who forever saves, and will save whoever will call on him. And God who sees all sin sees what heart really calls upon him.
as severe as this passage sounds, it's entirely grace-driven. God wants us to know what sin will bring. God wants us to see the truth, the need, so that we would run to Jesus, that we would call on him, we would plead for his grace. He wants us to have an urgency because urgency is needed. If Jesus saves, then who, who is being described in Hebrews 10? It speaks of someone sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, meaning that they hear about Jesus, the Son of God, who died on the cross, who was raised from the dead and now reigns and saves. They, they, they've heard the truth. They've heard that we're all sinners. They've heard that the wages of sin is death. They've heard that God is judged, that this is coming. They, they've heard the truth. This is the person who claims to believe or claims to understand, who claims to know these things, but refuses to stop sinning. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Well, well don't we all still struggle with sin? Even though forgiveness is complete, until we are perfected in the kingdom, we, we all struggle at times with sin. Sometimes we sin knowingly, sometimes just not even paying attention, but there is that struggle with sin. This, we will see clearly, is not the person who struggles and at times sins, and their heart aches because of it. This is the person who is defiant in their sin. Look at the end of verse 27. Who has consumed the adversary, the one who has become adversarial to the truths of God. And verse 29 digs even deeper into what is going on. And it has three statements. This is the person who who hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and rejects it. Verse 29, they, they trample underfoot the Son of God, meaning they reject that God, that Jesus is God in flesh. They reject that he is Lord over creation. They reject that he has authority over them. He's just another man who may have said good things. He's, he's another man, and now he's dead. It doesn't stop there. It says they have profaned, secondly, the blood of the covenant. 
They reject that Jesus died shedding his blood to pay for sin. And here is, here is a, a great grief and a great warning. There is in every town, every town around us, every single one, there are churches that claim to be Christian that deny Jesus is God in flesh, who by his blood alone cleanses us from sin. They deny that Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself and was punished for our sin. They claim to be Christian, and they, they deny every one of these things. This isn't something far away. This isn't some primitive, idolatrous culture. This is Christianized America claiming to be Christian and denying the person of Christ and what he did. And so they also, thirdly, they outrage the spirit of grace. For it is the spirit who convicts us of sin to see that convicts us of who Jesus is and what he has done. And he is presenting to them, here is Jesus who saves, and they cast the truth aside, and the spirit is outraged, for the spirit loves to exalt the son. And when we reject Jesus, who is God's answer, you know, the world's, what, why should we believe in God when he doesn't do anything? I mean, who's going to stop all this? Where is God in all of this? We just blow right by the cross. There he is dying for you. There he is seeking to save so you, sinner, are not under the wrath of God, for you are part of the whole picture. Ignoring that God will judge every sin and every person without exception. There will not be a single sin unpunished. Not one. All sin will either be punished on us or on Christ. But every sin will be punished. And if we reject Jesus there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. There, there is no other way to be saved. Jesus saves. It, we have to be saved from the fact that we're sinners. The wrath of God will be on us. That, that's going to happen. There's no other way. We can't get rid of our sin. We can't be good enough for it. We're already sinners. Nothing can take it away. Jesus dies in our place, takes it from us, and then the Spirit cleanses us. There is no other possible way and if we reject that, then we're left with nothing. We're left with feel-good slogans and notions that cannot save anyone. Oh, there are all sorts of justifications people use. None of them are valid. My sin's not that bad. I do, I do a lot of good. 
There's a man that I know and that I love that I've shared the gospel with him and his response is, I try to help people whenever I can. And he's right, he does. He's late for everything because he's always helping someone. But that's not gonna save him. And he's thinking, I'm doing enough good. That'll get me through. No, it won't. Or I'm a spiritual person. I'm not stuck with any particular religion. I'm, I'm just spiritual. I love God. I have my own ideas, my own way. But you reject the authority of God. You actually make yourself to be God. God has to be whatever it is that you think he should be. God has to accept your ideas. God has to be everything to everyone. God will be who he is. Period. Notice, notice the, the very end of this passage. Verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is not conceptual. God is a person, a person alive. We can't just come up with our opinions or thoughts about who God is. God is who he is. He is a living being, who he is eternally. What we want to say about him, what he's like, is completely irrelevant. Who is he actually? He's a living being whom we will face. Or I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I'm fine with Jesus. If you're rebelling against him, you're not repentant. No, you're not fine with Jesus. And there are faces that were once in these these very seats that we would have all thought, well, there's someone who loves Jesus. And they have for years now, they've just pursued their sin with full obstinance, somehow saying they're okay, and they are not. They are without hope. As so many churches teach, Jesus Jesus did not die to pay for our sin. Then you don't believe in Jesus. If you don't believe Jesus is the son of God who died for sin and reigns, you don't believe in Jesus because that's who Jesus is. These verses are purposefully disturbing. The author, by the inspiration of God, he knew what words he was choosing. He knew how they would be read, heard. This is meant to disturb, to disturb us out of lethargy, to disturb us from 
our spiritual slumber, our casualness. We're meant to be disturbed. We're meant to have fear come over our being and consider, what if this is true? God is not casual about sin. He punished his own son for our sin. And our opinions don't control eternity. We have zero authority over it. The truth is we know nothing about it. So look honestly at your life. You are clearly a sinner. Doesn't mean you're the worst person in the world. You're a sinner. A family that came here for years would come up occasionally and compliment a sermon. Eventually reach a point, they came to the office when I said that every one of you is a sinner. And that man in anger, you were including my wife when you said that. Thinking, I was including my mother. She was there too. We won't talk about my dad. My wife was there. My daughters, my son were there. And every one of them, if they don't trust in Jesus, there is no hope. Look at her life. Look at God, who he alone can be judged, and so he will be. He must be. His character demands it. His role as creator demands it. And then, with all of that, then, then look and see the person of Jesus who came into this wretched mess of humanity and bound himself forever as God and man and went to the cross and died knowing what would happen. So heavy was the burden that even Jesus, the Son of God, wrestled. If there's another way, let it pass. But there was no other way. And so he said, I will go, look, and see that the Son of God died for you. See, his blood was shed, and sins are cleansed, and the Spirit of God changes. See how wonderful Jesus is. There is no one who will care for you, who will love you, who will come nearer to you, no one will hold you like him. There is no one like Jesus. Just seek him and ask him. Open the Bible and just look what he says and does. See if he is not the most amazing man that ever lived. Verse 31 tells us, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands 
of God. But it is a joyful thing to come now and be held in his hands. For Jesus said this in John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Everyone here will face the living God. Are you ready for his hands? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I ask that your grace would flow over all that's been said, that people would see and only remember what is true, what is from you, what is right. They would see past all of the failings of the preacher to see Jesus, Holy Spirit, only you, only you can do this. And together, we are your people. Together we ask that you would now, you would speak to those who've never clearly seen it, even if they think they have. For all who do believe, we would freshly take serious the offense of sin. Lord, that we would leave in the joy that we are yours. And so we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.